Welcome to Deleted Saves. On this episode, Vampire on PS4. Here in the modern day, the horrors of war and all that comes with it can seem distant and like it does not affect us personally. Often, we may know a veteran, but we may have no personal experience with war except to see what type of war is called a push-button warfare on nightly TV in the form of military drones, air raids from jets flying by hundreds of miles per hour, or missiles launched at targets from miles away. And as far as a plague, well, those listening survived the COVID-19 pandemic thanks to modern medicine and staying indoors for a few years. However, our counterparts in 1918 did not have such luck or methods when World War I was winding down with armistice in Europe and the Spanish flu was killing hundreds still. But what if we were able to tell a vampire story set during this time? Let's look into that with 2018's Vampire. Right off the top, supernatural tales told during wartime can be amazing pieces of fiction. While you have such thing, seen such things before, usually confined to the less popular sections of bookstore shelves, reading, as I have already lamented before, not a popular activity in the U.S. It is actually not that often we see such historic references or time periods in the video game format. And Vampire does not does have a lot going for it. But yet, yet, Vampire, we need to talk. Not interview, just a chat. In public where everyone can see and hear. I know how that story ends. It is easy to forget that something that happened a mere century ago is, in the course of geologic history, the blink of an eye for the planet. And really, for human history, 100 years ago is not that long either. We have or had relatives within our own living memories who could have told us of the times or the people and of the world in which these events transpired. Despite many social and some technological changes, we are little different from the people inhabiting the world of 1918. We are in some ways more sheltered than they were, and in other ways more liberated. 1918 was the year World War I ended after raging for four years across much of Europe, the Middle East in the form of the last days of the Ottoman Empire, Africa and parts of Asia. The U.S. would enter 1917 for only a year. But victory would never be declared Instead, a state of permanent stalemate would be declared in the form of an armistice of 1918, a stalemate that still exists today, keep in mind, and has been a bone of contention among many nations thinking of possibly trying for a potential World War III. And empires were divided up, the trenches dug were filled with the dead, the mustard gas was starting to disperse, and the dispersed and refugee survivors would find no shelter from the whims of madmen. It was the first war to employ poison gas, aircraft, what we can see as modern naval tactics including submarines, and the League of Nations was formed, a precursor to NATO. There were many reasons for the start of the war, including the nations seeking to expand their borders beyond what traditional said they should be, the children and grandchildren of Queen Victoria married off into various European fam royal families in order to bring Europe into one big dominant family, finding they could not control their people so easily, 
ongoing violence in Bosnia and Herzegovina, the violence that would reignite in 1992, and would culminate in the assassination of Archduke Franz Ferdinand, the presumptive heir to the throne of Austria-Hungary, by a Bosnian Serb in 1914, which was all the leadership on Imperial Germany, which was at the time known as the Second Reich, who was a deep ally and likely real rulers behind the throne of Austria-Hungary, needed to declare war and set off the whole powder keg. Keep in mind, this is an extremely brief retelling of four-year period of world history that should require study and contemplation, except that we did it again a brief decade and change later with World War II. So I say again, study your history, take it to heart, don't dismiss institutions just because you think they are worth, aren't worth your time, and get in the way of what you want, you selfish prick. Or dismiss old stories and don't make the same mistake, you ignorant fucks, because humans are dumb as dog shit and keep making the exact same mistakes over and over. Stop it! Bad human. No treat. But that was only half of the disaster that was the early 1900s. A worldwide flu pandemic had cropped up that would end up killing thousands worldwide. It only gained the name Spanish flu because the nations involved in the war were a, on a literal blackout and suppression of the news of what the flu was doing to ravage the world population in order to keep war morale up. But since Spain remained neutral during World War I, they could report on the flu all they liked and did, leading to the casual world into believing the pandemic had begun in Spain. The actual origins of the flu are contested and not universally agreed on, but apparently there is strong evidence it may have actually started in the U.S. But what we do know is it a, muta is it a mutation of the H1N1 virus with genes of avian origin, according to the CDC. The grand total would be 500 million worldwide infected with the pandemic and 50 million dead of it. COVID-19, by comparison, has killed in excess of 3 million worldwide. So I guess we lucked out. But as into this dueling nightmares, we step with a vampire story. Our main character for this tale is Dr. Jonathan Reed, a British wartime medical doctor and field medic, who spent a few years in France trying to save lives on the front, fighting both the flu and the bullet and mortar wounds caused by the Germans. The beginning is quite brief, with a bit of narration by Dr. Reed and when he arrives at the London docks, he's almost immediately attacked by some sort of creature that drains his blood. But somehow he survives, only to awaken in the charnel pit, where those dead of the flu are being burned, once the gravediggers relieve them of their last earthly possessions, of course. Reed stumbles forth, the world literally fuzzy and gray, and he controls like a brick with legs that is crying for with an unquenchable thirst. In the distance, he approaches a woman who is little more than a black outline, but the woman seems to know him, addressing him as brother, and that she has been looking for him all over London since his dockside disappearance. Reed stumbles into her arms and she hugs him, saying that she will take him home to family with their mother and his nephew, but all Reed can see is a Batman Arkham Asylum outline of her heart and circulatory system. Reed's canine teeth veritably explode through his gums as he sinks his fangs into the woman's neck and drains her dry of blood, which causes Reed to come to his senses and realize he has just killed his sister Mary, who has come to find him. In a panic, he disappears into the night, 
seeking to change his now bloodstained clothes when he stumbles across the first of the vampire hunters who mark him as undead right away when even Reed does not know what is going on. And they begin shooting the shit out of him and chasing him through the London streets. He soon stumbles upon a discarded pistol and a knife, hides in an abandoned apartment, and shoots himself in the heart in an attempt to commit suicide in response to killing his sister in a daze. Of course, he awakens the next night perfectly fine. Reed, realizing he is beyond the call of the grave, receives visions by his maker, who appears as a cloud of blood with vague face and horns. So who knows who or even what this thing is? He is led into midtown London to a bar where he encounters a mortal doctor, Edgar Swansea, who knows instantly what Reed is, but hires him on as a doctor of hematology at Pembroke Hospital, which will become our sanctuary for the remainder of the game, aside from different temporary shelters that can be found. Reed can spend an incredible amount of time talking to the staff and patients, collecting side quests to accomplish, exerting his vampiric mind control on them as he gets stronger, and gaining experience by doing both. Strangely, Vampire as a game is an RPG of a sort. There are dialogue trees and different paths to discover, but where Reed gains most of his experiences in combat. As Reed goes out into the London by night streets, he will be attacked by members of St. Paul's Stole, a vampire hunting organization tied to the Church of England, who attack with knives, revolvers, shotguns, and flamethrowers, and ministers attacking with their faith. Vampire is an odd mix of two very distinct games. Another vampire favorite in Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines, and of all things, Bloodborne in combat style. I am not trying to say Vampire is a Souls game, but it is a Souls clone with dialogue wheels similar to Mass Effect and permanent choices. And I'm not kidding there. Each time Reed rests at his sanctuary for the night to upgrade or spend his experience, a night passes and the various districts of London get better or worse based on Reed's actions. If he kills a lot of NPCs or embraces a lot of people, meaning he drains them someone to death to gain a lot of experience at once, the citizens of the district sicken and more enemies flood the streets. If Reed is a good boy and keeps his bloodthirst in check, the district and its people get healthier, and the enemies become scarce. Luckily, Reed is an actual doctor and can find junk, plants, and parts along the way to make curatives for the illnesses of the citizens and fix them, giving them more health to survive the nights, or worth more experience if you eat them. It is up to you. But vampire hunters are not the only thing Reed fights during the London nights. Lower-ranked vampires named Skulls flood the streets too, acting like mindless predators. The Skulls, it seems, are what happens when the peasantry get infected with vampirism. Reed is, as we find through the story, a minor lord, a real House of Lords Parliament type. His dad was a rich businessman in London with connections to government, which is why Reed was wealthy enough to study medicine as a profession and get a cushy officer's role during the war. The nobility of England are more likely to be properly embraced or turned by actual vampires and be more passable as humans. So even among vampires, class warfare and rich versus poor is put on full display. But the problem is that Skulls tend to also carry disease, so Reed believes Skulls may in fact be helping pass on the flu to their mortal prey. And if this wasn't bad enough, there are also werewolves haunting London streets. No reason given as to why there are werewolves in London, 
outside of the developers trying to make a joke, either on the 1981 movie An American Werewolf in London, or the 1978 song Werewolves of London by Warren Zevon, or maybe both, who knows. But now, there are three enemy types for Reed to battle. As he traverses the various six districts of London, you will travel back and forth, over and over, and over and over again, in your quest to understand where the vampires and the Spanish flu are coming from in town. Along the way, Reed can also upgrade the various weapons he finds, from daggers to swords, maces and scalpels, to pistols and shotguns, to deal more damage and stun effects. Reed attacks with the Bloodborne-like Hunter, a weapon each hand, usually a blade and a gun, unless he has two-handing weapon, and can also add vampiric powers to his roster, using claws, blood spears, damaging shadows, and the ability to feed on mortal and monster alike to recover health. Once Reed is on the streets hunting for his maker and the source of the plague, he starts coming across a lot of plot threads at once. Gangsters, weirdos, thugs, and innocents live and intertwine in the night. A local priest he meets early on by the name of Sean Hampton seems to be turning into a skull and preying on his flock. He meets an older vampire lady named Lady Ashbury, who seems like a cold fish towards Reed, but somehow the two fall in love despite nothing but prim and proper towards each other attitudes like a vampire romance novel written by Jane Austen. He finds a corpse in town with his mother's brooch on it, a woman in the midst of early-onset dementia, and having just learned that both her son, our protagonist, and her daughter, our protagonist's first victim, have died, so she's not doing well, and learns that his sister Mary is also now a vampire and has gone from upper-class housewife to mustache-twirling villain in one leap, and flits about her Whitechapel cemetery, blaming Reed for everything, including the own loss of her husband, and planning to use their mother as a Cherry Capri son, unless Reed lets her kill him, which he refuses to do. Later, Lady Ashbury invites Reed to join the Elite Ascalon Club, which she cannot join, despite her age and power among London's vampires, because she has a terrible birth defect, a vagina, and isn't allowed to join. This is after one of Reed's patients at Pembroke, a cranky old bitch named Harriet Jones, is slaughtered like a hog while he is on duty, and it would seem a skull that was sent as an assassin, and he has to travel to the London Underground to meet old Bridget, the leader and protector of the skulls. It is during this trip that Reed learns that Harriet is not dead, but was turned into a skull, and is taken down into the Underground to hide. But Harriet is hiding something which Reed must get to the bottom of. It's getting out of control by this point, as despite the fact that Reed has said he will play by the Ascalon Club's rules, as he investigates the plague by leaving it alone and letting the plague play out and clean up whatever mortals are left in the aftermath, Reed just can't. And now elite vampires across London are attacking Reed for the bounty on his head. Yet despite this, Lord Redgrave, the club's leader, encourages Reed to continue to find out where the skulls are coming from. Also, Spoilers at this point, as I have to cover these last plot points. At one point, Edgar Swansea is kidnapped and Reed goes to rescue him. When he does, he must fight a vaudeville actress turned skull and her out-of-control mutations, who has captured Swansea to cure herself and kill him, only to have him confess to something awful and completely out of fucking left field. That Swansea, despite his working as a doctor and a vampire hunter, Use Lady Ashbury's blood, 
knowing full well she was a vampire ally who had donated her own blood to help find a flu cure, had used the blood serum on Harriet Jones because she was an awful bitch and didn't have a problem with torturing her to see what would happen and instead created the Skull Plague through Harriet. So didn't see that coming. It is at this point that Lady Ashbury flees, embarrassed that she was the genesis of the Skull Plague. I guess having girl parts make you more than a social pariah in 1918 London in this world. And Reed's blood cloud maker finally gives himself a name. Meridan. Meridan says he created Reed specifically to be his champion in this time period, seeing in him the thing needed to stop his mother Morrigan. Yes, THE Morrigan, out of Celtic legend, the queen of war, fate, and death who has possessed Harriet Jones and plans to destroy London and then all of England. Um, what? Fucking excuse me? I mean, I know we were getting vague hints along the way that the Skull Uprising, that there is some big bad supernatural force behind it. Wow. The whole of British Prime Minister Benjamin Disraeli's 1844 Irish question just came back writ large upon 1918. The Irish are back for revenge for the English being shitty to them for centuries. So for those of you keeping score, there are four us-versus-them plots converging on the shoulders of this plonker of a rich doctor vampire's shoulders. Rich versus poor, government versus the people, the English versus the Irish, and man versus woman. Sure, you at home listening to this are saying, you are reading way too much into this. I just want to hear about the Pixel Man going beep-boop and feel better. But first, this is my show, and I'll fill your ears with all the history and social theory I want. And second, at least that makes sense compared to the reality of this back-end-of-the-game story rot that came spilling out of my TV that I was really not expecting, nor did the lead-up adequately prepare me for when the first half of the game had so much promise and was really cool. So fuck me. So Reed returns to deal with Harriet only to find that she has killed all the skulls except for old Bridget, and is hiding in the sewers possessed by an ancient Irish war ghost. Reed, of course, must kill Harriet, and therefore dispossess her of Morrigan, who goes back to sleep, I guess. Once done, Mirrodin appears again and thanks Reed for his work, and just lets him off the hook to go live for eternity on his own. But we're not done yet, folks. After this final boss, the game plays out for another half hour as Reed goes across London in search of Lady Ashbury. He finds her hidden in an ancient and crumbling castle, where she is hiding with her sire, William Marshall, 1st Earl of Pembroke, an actual historic figure. William Marshall is one of England's earliest champion protectors, having served under five kings during his actual lifetime, which in the real world was between 1146 and 1219. But in the world of Vampire, it would seem Ridden embraced him long ago to try and put his mother down, much like he did with Reed. And Marshall and a few other English vampires helped establish the Ascalon Club and the rules of how to be a vampire in England throughout the centuries. And yes, he made Lady Ashbury several centuries ago. But here is where all of your decisions to kill or save people in all of the districts of London come to play out. Yes, Vampire features multiple endings based on your choices, like a lot of modern RPGs. Why we see Marshall here, I am still not sure, as the vampire is old and demented and really fucking tangential to the plot, 
outside of the writers of the game going, Look at here! Historic person done up in supernatural trackings. Damn, we're good at this fiction shit. But anyway, here is the ending that I got. Lady Ashbury kills Marshall as a kindness, and instead of killing herself out of fear and embarrassment, Reed talks her down by declaring his very prim and proper sense and sensibility English love for her, and the two decide to go abroad to the United States in their quest to do... stuff. Maybe cure hate, or vampirism, or bring flowers to nursing home patients, I don't know. But Muradin is happy that he made the right choice. I guess the other endings, depending on how many people you eat, which, ha which means... Lady Ashbury kills herself, and Reed becomes a cynical monster, eating people for all time, and Meridian is sad, or some other version of that. But you do nothing during these final scenes other than walk Reed around like a puppet, solving a simple door puzzle, until you see this whole ass long cutscene play out. Ugh. What a letdown after such a fine start. So yeah, as the game goes along, you have to decide the fate of many people you come across based on their sins or if they may rat you out to the vampire hunters. Or if you meet someone infected, that may make the situation worse. I screwed up at least half of these choices, then spent a lot of time afterward running around trying to cure people of headaches and anxiety and malaria and shit, while dealing with the flood of enemies, more than I was equipped to deal with, just because I was trying to do a good guy run, and it turns out mercy is a tough business to be in. Then the ending was just a clunker. I was super enthusiastic about this game when it started out. As I said before, I don't like vampires in myth. I think they're overplayed and terrible, but I played a lot of vampire games, both good and bad. Vampire started out as good, and yes, I'm going to keep pronouncing it vampire and not vampire because I learned English. And it was hard to tell folks about this one because it flew under so many radars with no one to bounce the game off of. So of course, I thought Vampire Bloodborne Mass Effect was going very well until I was traversing the same areas over and over, fighting the same more hunter types over and over, the same werewolf over and over, and just running the same fight plans over and over. I'm not blaming that on the developers Don't Nod Studios, who have done other amazing games. It is obvious they put a lot of love and work into this title. But it is a B title. Luckily, I had little to no issues with bugs, which tend to be common in B titles. But a lot of reviewers did see loading issues, choppy animations, and other bug problems that didn't help sell this title. Speaking of reviewers and their reviews, they gave it mixed to average at best reviews, which in modern gaming parlance means that unlike really bad games that get publicly executed in spectacular and gory fashions, mixed to average review games get quietly euthanized like shelter pets when no one adopts them. And that is kind of what happened to Vampire. It was gently put down where no one could see, because it wasn't bad enough to shit on more, yet it wasn't good enough to be the lovable scamp in the year. It was just a game that came out. Hell, even the developers were like, we'll be lucky if this is sells a million copies, which was their words, not mine. With all the trouble they had with this game during its development cycle between implementing and then not implementing software that made damage CPU performance, and trouble with Unreal 4 as an engine. And when even the developers aren't sure what the game will do, then what do we, as consumers, or what are we supposed to think? I mean, I understand. I put out this show every week on the hope that even if I get 10 listens to an episode, it will be successful. So does that mean I should keep my expectations low and not try? Yeah, that is about what it hits, too, despite my attempts otherwise. 
so at least I'm never disappointed. And by 2019, Don't Nod hit that million sales for this game. So I guess they're not disappointed either. It's like the plaque my grandmother kept on her bathroom wall when I was a kid that read, Expect nothing and you'll never be disappointed. I think that was what, what really sunk the boat in this end of a game. Even the developers expected nothing out of this title. And some great ideas and gameplay just fizzled out in the end. It's not a bad game. Just nothing more than average. And at least we're not disappointed. But you know, the more I sat with this game after the credits rolled, the more annoyed and mad I got. Who is to blame here? Is it just me? Did I see something more than was here? And did I feel like I got burned when everyone else passed this game over for what? A lot of other bigger and more robust games by hundreds of developers that they would eventually start whining over because it didn't meet their expectations? Like Red Dead Redemption 2, God of War, or Marvel Spider-Man? Hey, 2018 was a stacked year, I can't lie. But let's be honest with each other. You, yes you, I see you there. You bitched about these big-name games for one reason or another. They let you down. Or they weren't up to snuff for you. Or you know someone who did. So even the biggest games by the best studios meet with resistance. So what hope do lesser titles have? Or was it the developer who honestly put forth a game with a fairly fresh historic premise, which is not easy to do because sometimes use of real-world history in a supernatural tale is fresh and exciting, and sometimes a shorthand for, we don't know what to write about, so we're going to crack open a history book and just start adding names and places to look legitimate. Was it the developer using gameplay mechanics and techniques that unabashedly ripped off other more well-known titles that experienced gamers could pick out in seconds and were likely to get them pilloried in the fickle gaming public? Or was it all of us who went in expecting nothing and therefore not really disappointed when the average came out. But still, this was money for the developers and out of my pocket. So why do I feel slightly ripped off? I am still not sure what to do or how to think about Vampire, all rolled out by the time the credits rolled. Is it worth going back and playing as an absolute bastard to see how bad I can bury London under its troubles? Eh, I'm not feeling it. Maybe in a few years when I get caught up on my own backlog and I need something to do, I'll give it a try again. Maybe I'll change my mind. Maybe I won't. The voice acting is great, even if some of the accents sound stereotypically British to the point of ethnic slur. The premise is pretty damn good, despite the execution. The atmosphere is good and gloomy, and feels like a grimy city in the grips of plague. The choices are okay, and I felt they were impactful, despite others disagreeing. But again, it's... Not like I've disagreed with others' opinions before. But are those choices enough to see it more than once? I just don't know. At least with many other games I've had in the hot seat, I can say one way or another why they let me down, or that they were definite pieces of shit, which too often gamers confuse with me or others calling them shitty if they liked something that someone else didn't. But with Vampire, I just feel... Like it was just a long, wet tea and crumpets fart released during a crowded upper-class party. It started great, and ended up a nothing burger, despite the love and care the artists and actors and programmers gave it. So that's it. Vampire. Yet another in a long line of vampire games, with an attempt at aggressive combat, 
and RPG mechanics and storytelling. It's there. You can find it if you look around. I could make an it sucks joke, but even that shit is old and tired. But you don't come here for jokes, dear listener. You come here for the straight truth, unvarnished by me trying to put on an act. Buy it if you want to, if it's on sale, or not. I doubt the game will be getting a sequel, so who gives a shit? It's not like EA published this thing and expects 50 billion sales to feed justified for their half-assed efforts. And there you go. Maybe someday, we'll get a studio who wants to take a gamble on another supernatural monster. Like an Aztec mummy. Now that would be some hot shit. Let's put the vampires back to bed for now, until someone can come up with a really good title to utilize them with. Thank you for listening. Deleted Saves would like to thank Brad, Keith Gasper, Orden Wells, and Mast Lama for being patrons of the show. If you would like to become a patron of the show, please go to patreon.com and check out Deleted Saves podcast. All donations go directly towards maintaining the show itself. Thank you.